Welcome to the anointed and transformational teaching ministry of Pastor Walea Kinshiku, Senior Pastor of House of Praise Mississauga, Canada, a parish of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. It is our prayer that as you listen to this message, that you will be empowered to achieve your dreams and fulfill your destiny. God bless you as you listen. This is a very important thing, spiritual growth. And the topic we've been exploring over the last three Sundays is manifestation of divine wisdom. Manifestation of divine wisdom. Okay? Then we're taking our scripture from 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 1 to 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. New Living Translation. Okay? And it says, get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. All right? Like newborn babes, you must crave pure spiritual make or desire it. All right? They said that you may grow into a full experience of salvation. Oh, I love that. So that you and I can grow into a full experience of salvation. And I pray that you will grow into a full experience of salvation in Jesus' name. You know, every time I, I talk about this, I talk about the fact that the body of Christ, and I'm not speaking concerning a particular local church, but the body of Christ is full of babies. Babies, you know, babies, and, 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 and it's so frustrating and so concerning, you know, because people just refuse to grow. Many people have been stagnant for a long time. You know, the worst thing that you can hear is somebody that is celebrating their longevity, okay, in Christianity, but not celebrating their development in Christianity. So, oh, I've been a Christian 25 years, I've been a Christian 27 years, but they've been stagnant. They were growing maybe the first two years. Of being a Christian, and since then they've stopped. Something happened, they got offended, okay. And since they got offended, they they, they got offended, and they you know they, they just got packed on the road. They got packed on the road, and and, and that was it. And they, they're not growing anymore, they've stalled, and because they've stalled, they become a repository, a reservoir for offenses. Everybody that is going, they pick offenses, pick offenses, pick a fight, you know. And, and over the years, their heart is burdened and loaded with all manners of offenses. They become, they, their, their heart has become an archive of offenses. Oh, that's how it happens. 18 years ago, that's what happened to Mr. X, that's what happens to Mrs. B, that's what happens to Mrs. C, that's what happens to Mr. D. And they recount all the different offenses of the last 18 years. And, and every time you call them or you speak to them or in, you interact with them, you're always going to hear one discontent after another discontent. They are people that have been, you know, they have been erased practically in destiny. You know, they've been erased, except there is a change. They've stalled in their growth. And these are the things that we have to avoid. To make sure we don't get stalled in our growth, in our aspiration to develop spiritually. You know, I, I need to say something here very quickly uh, that I, I, I will throw out there. I will explain some other time. Particularly, listen carefully, if you're somebody that you tend to have a prayer life that is above average, this particular segment is for you. 
if you have a prayer life that's above average. So this includes everybody that has a prayer life that's above average. You tend to pray and you, and this definitely includes everybody in a prayer department, in any church, intercessors, whatever it's called, watchmen, guardsmen, uh, standing in the gap, uh, prayer department, whatever name or nomenclature, you know, they're called. If you are into anything prayer ministry, please listen to what I'm about to say right now. And I'm saying this to you with a lot of love in my heart, with a lot of, um, uh, you know, concern in my heart. As you know, many of you that know my story, I, my background in, in, church, in the ministry, in Christianity, coming up before I became a pastor, was in the prayer department. I became, I was the head of the prayer team, intercessory team in my church in London, England, great church, under my great pastor, you know, great man of God, Pastor Agu, okay, Jesus House London. I was the head of intercessory ministry. So this is an area I'm very familiar with. Many people that are into prayer, listen carefully, they have faith in their prayer. They don't have faith in God. They have faith in their effort to pray, not in God. I've seen this, and this is a very, very, very they don't, people don't even know when they have crossed the line. That now, what they have faith in is in their prayer life, their ability to pray, and their prayer bodies, you know, and the decibel of their prayer. They don't longer have faith in God. What the Bible actually says is that, you know, the Bible says, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now listen to the next thing it says, they are mighty in God. Not mighty in prayer, but mighty in God. Jesus Christ said, have faith in God, Mark eleven twenty two. Not have faith in your prayer life. Many people have faith in their prayer life. You hear people say things like, ah, we will pray. Ah, it's going to be just the prayer. Ah, we'll pray. Those are people that have faith in their prayer life, not faith in God. If you have faith in God, you will understand that the first key to you really getting prayers and answers to your prayers is alignment with God, submission to God, alignment with the word of God, and submission to God. And part of that is humility. Part of that is humility. You begin to understand Proverbs 22 verse, verse 3. That says, a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. Well, if you're really prayerful as a person, okay, you actually would love to keep your powder dry. All right? You want to keep your powder dry. You don't go looking for trouble, okay, because you don't want to overburden your prayer life. So, so be, you have to be careful about that. So that you don't, your faith is not in your prayer life. If your faith is in your prayer life, you will be let down. You will be disappointed. Your faith has to be in God. Okay? Manifestation of divine wisdom. That's why spiritual growth then becomes not only important, it becomes something that we have to make sure we get into. We have to check ourselves. Again, am I growing spiritually? Do I have a predisposition to somebody that is growing? The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, that to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God 
may be made known by the church to principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Listen, you and I, I'm talking of we, born-again Christians, the church, we are the body of Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 23. We are regarded as the body of Christ. Listen, we are not, not saved by God to manage. We are not saved by God to be in a stalemate with the devil. We are not saved by God to hang on until Jesus comes to rescue us in the rapture. No, no, that's a false, wrong, deceptive picture. We are saved by God to have dominion. We are saved by God to walk in dignity. We are saved by God to manifest greatness. Now you might say to yourself, oh, I've heard this several times. That's the more reason why you need to hear it again. Because faith comes by hearing, not by what you have heard. You are saved to manifest greatness. You are f saved to teach principalities and powers a lesson. Okay? By the manifestation of the wisdom of God, where they say there is no way, to show them that there is a way there. Where they say you will not move forward, to show them you will move forward. Where they say you will not sit, for you not only to sit, but to be enthroned. You are supposed to teach them a lesson. You understand? To the intent that now the manifold, many-sided, complicated, complex wisdom of God may be made known by the church, by you and I, not by God, by you and I. Of course, it's the wisdom of God, manifold wisdom of God, made known by the church, you and I, to principalities and powers. We are supposed to teach the witches and the wizards and the occult a lesson because what they thought they've locked up, suddenly they realize that they might think they've locked it up, but they realize that it's very open. It's very open by the one that has the key of David in his hands that opens and nobody can shut and shuts and nobody can reopen. Praise God. Praise God. So please have that in mind. You are not a liability in life. Stop looking at yourself and seeing yourself as a liability. You are not a burden. You are a masterpiece. You are not a body. The Bible says, don't look at yourself and say, well, look at me, pastor, you don't even understand my situation. Look at me, I'm so sick, I'm in the hospital right now, or I'm so poor. If you see where, I'm, where I live, if you see my house, if you see things around me, I don't even have a job, and all of that. Listen, you are making a big mistake. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, for we have this treasure in earthen vessel. We, it's a treasure, but it's an earthen vessel. You can't judge the value of the treasure by the value of the container. You can't judge it. The value of the treasure by the value of the container. You can't judge that. We have this treasure in earthen vessel so that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of me. You can't judge my value just by what you see. I can't judge your value by what I see. Treasure is loaded in your spirit, man. Treasure is loaded in your inner man. You are more than who you present to be. You are more than who you present to be. Don't let anybody cut you short. Don't let anybody make you feel down. You know, don't let anybody make you feel down. I, I, you know, I have particular passion Compassion, passion, I don't know what, which one is the right word now. For, 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 for people that are in marriages, that are stuck in marriages, and one of the partners, you know, sometimes it's the man, sometimes it's the woman, is victimizing the other. You know, looking at the woman and the woman and say, look at you. 
look at you, is this, look at this, this is how your mates look, and so on and so on. And the woman has been so harassed, battered, bruised, emotionally, she can't even lift up her eyes. The man has been so bruised, she can't, she, he can't lift up his eyes. I've seen things, 21 years in ministry, I've seen things. You know, I've seen things. You know, I, I, I say to, 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 to people all the time, to young men that are just getting married, not to the older ones, because the older ones, you know, like my mother would say, they're like um, roasted fish. You can't bend them anymore. You know, you try to bend them, they just break. But, you know, I, I sit to the people that are still fresh, fresh leaves, fresh trees, young men that are just getting married. You know, uh, you know, I tell them, listen, listen, your greatest achievement in your relationship is for us to see your wife in the next five years and ten years, and she is a better human being. Okay? She's doing what she could not have done when she was single. She feels comfortable. She feels okay. She's looking better. That is a great achievement for you. If she's in any way reduced from what she was, okay, when she was single, you have failed as a man. So there's no point in you wearing a three-piece suit and your wife is looking like a slave. That's just, you're just advertising your failure as a man. There's no point in you, you know, looking all the best and all of that. And your wife, your wife is looking like a slave. You might think that, oh, you have complete control over your home, but really what you're doing is that you're running a slave yard, okay? And as far as heaven is concerned, you are mistreating somebody created in the image of God. And it's only a matter of time before judgment falls on you. You have to be careful about that, okay? You can't mistreat your wife. That's why I like my own family. Nobody can, both of us are very, we have very strong personalities. Nobody can mistreat each other. You understand? Nobody's going to mistreat each other. We have extreme, it's two, two, two lions inside the house. <laughs> or one lion and one lioness inside the house. You know, you can't, I, personally for me, I can't understand it. I take tremendous glory, credits, you know, for, you know, even God said, let your light shine. Jesus Christ takes glory when he sees his church shining. It takes glory in that. It takes glory. The Bible says they return to Jesus and say, oh, Master, in your name, the spirits were subject to us. That's glory. That Jesus was excited. He rejoiced in the spirit. I don't like it when I see somebody's wife. She doesn't know her left from her right. She's cowering. She's like a slave. What is that? For a Christian, Christian, what is that? When we are supposed to be, we are supposed to be the light of the world and the source of the earth. Somebody is already offended, but that's Okay. Even Jesus in his preaching offended some people. That means I'm like Jesus. Amen. Praise God. So when we manifest divine wisdom, we manifest it, number one, in the area of revelation knowledge. Number two, we manifest it in the area of creativity. So let's, let's, let's get into this creativity thing again. Creativity has two dimensions. Number one is natural talent. Number two is spiritual treasure. Two dimensions of creativity. Number one, natural talent. Number two, spiritual treasure. We tend to focus on people that have natural talent, and we call these people creative people, people that are into the arts, you know, you know drama, film production, movie production, actors, actresses, writers, script writers, and all of that, people that are into interior decor, musicians, music artists, and, 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 and all of that, those kind of people, you know, artists, sculptors, we tend to say they are 
creative people. People like, some other people like, maybe people like me, that are giving a bit more into mathematics and all of that, you tend to say we're not creative people. You know, and, and, and what I understand what people are saying. What people are saying, they're talking about in the natural. Some people, people come out and say, I'm not a creative person. They're looking at natural talent. But please understand this. As a Christian, as a born-again, spirit-filled Christian, you are a creative person. By the, by the treasures, spiritual treasures deposited in you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 says, Christ in you. Colossians 1, 27. Christ in you. Okay? Then Colossians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3 says, In him, in this Christ who is in you, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this Christ is the one that created all things. All right, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. For by him all things were created, be it visible and invisible, thrones and dominions. Okay? All things were created by him. You know, in the book of John chapter 1, verse 3 says, Without him nothing was made that was made. So the one that, is, that created everything, the, 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 the agency of creation in the Godhead is in me. That treasure of wisdom that he used in creating the heavens and the earth is in me. So how can you say I'm not creative? How can you say I'm not creative? So I'm a very creative person. You might think that by natural talent I'm not creative, but by spiritual treasure I'm creative. Okay? This is very important. Then we defined creativity last week. We spoke about that. And so I'm going to take it up today from 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 to 7 quickly, and then I'm going to wrap it up. And I want to specifically talk today about the fact that one of the definitions of creativity is using the available to do the impossible. Using what you presently have available to do what man and, you know, what people will say is impossible. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditor is coming to take my two sons and being slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar. Can, you, can I look at the NLT from this verse 2? Please, NLT. Thank you very much. From this verse 2. It says, what can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? And look at what the woman said. The woman said, nothing at all. Nothing at all. That, but thank God there's a comma there. For many Christians, that's where they put a full stop, period. Nothing at all, except a flask of olive oil, she replied. Keep going, please. Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and your neighbors. Go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Okay? Pour the olive oil from the flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her. She filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There ain't any more. They told her, and the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, 
He said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts. You and your sons and live on what is left over. Father, we thank you. We receive your word once again with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Now go back to verse 2, please. One of the challenges people have today is they want, they want a solution, listen carefully to this, without their own personal cooperation. People have abdicated responsibility completely. People want a solution to their problems without any personal application. So people have abdicated responsibility completely. People will have a challenge and will say, oh, please, please, pastor, pray for me. You know, and they will let you know how serious the problem is. You know, speak about the problem with a low tone, a very depressive tone to amplify the urgency and the importance of the problem. All they're trying to do is to give all the burden to the pastor or whoever they want to pray for them. But for them, they want to abdicate responsibility completely. And that might work in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, it doesn't work. For the New Testament Christian, it doesn't work. So for both the person that is doing the prayer and the person that is being prayed for, both of them eventually get frustrated. Because in the New Testament, God wants to have a personal relationship with you. Never forget that. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. Anything you do to remove yourself from that space of having a personal relationship with God, it might feed the ego of a particular pastor. It might feed the ego of a particular spiritual leader. But anything you do to remove yourself from that, you are not in the will of God. No human being should take the place of Jesus Christ in your life. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. Let's look at it. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. It says, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. For there is one God. I'm glad about that. One God. And look at this now. And one mediator between God and men. Who is this mediator? The man Christ Jesus. All right. How did he become this mediator? He gave himself as a ransom to, for all of us. So Jesus Christ is our mediator. Don't get me wrong. Jesus Christ is our mediator, but we still need facilitators. We still need teachers. We still need pastors. We still need prophets, evangelists, and apostles. But we should never abdicate responsibility. Years ago, I had a story, okay, and that story really, you know, uh, I was in Nigeria, you know, and I was having a chat with some family friends, family and family friends, and they were tell, they tell them, they said the story. I was so sad, but I was livid, not just angry, I was livid. And it was the story of a particular woman that her son was dying. Her son was dying. So her son was in you know, pain and your son was dying. It was a very serious situation. So she took the son and ran to a particular place where she would meet the man of God. So she got there to go meet the man of God. Unfortunately, this man of God is a man of God that, you know, no doubt about it, heavily anointed and all of that. But he's a man that many people are looking for him, seeking his time. So she couldn't see the man of God on time. The you know, so she had to stay there waiting while the child's situation kept on deteriorating, waiting for the man of God. So they said the man of God is busy, the man of God is seeing other people, the man of God is this, the man of God is not around. 
So she just sat down there waiting and waiting. She waited for hours. And when I say hours, I'm not talking about one or two hours. 12 hours to 14 to 16 to 18 hours. She just waited there. Eventually, eventually, the, 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 the child died. And she had to carry the child out of the place. Sad. I was livid when I heard that. So when the people told me, they said, you know, and, you know, they were telling me, I said to them, this is completely wrong. This is what the Bible teaches against. I said, because I'm familiar with this man of God and the place that they are taking this child. I said, not far from the office of the man of God is the building where the service holds. Why can't that woman take, I said, if that woman are taking the child, you know, into that building where church service holds, Okay, and she was free to go in there because I know I've been there several times. You can go in there freely. And taking that child and lay the child on the stage, on the altar, even if she cannot pray, all she can just say is, God, I brought my child to you. Help me, oh God. Help me, oh God. Even if that's all she can say. She says it for 10 minutes. She gets tired. She sits down. Sits down. I said she will have had a solution. She will have had a solution. Men and women of God should not be deified. They should be honored, but not deified. They should not be deified. It's very important, and it's because people are just spiritually lazy. So they want, they want to, they, they don't mind deifying a man of God or deifying a woman of God because they want to abdicate their own personal responsibility. Left to some Christians, they won't even have personal devotion. They, won't read, they will never read the Bible. They will never have personal devotion. All they will just do is... I have one man of God. I have one woman. People even, they even take pride in that. Oh, I have a man of God. I have people that are praying for me. That is not something you take pride in. You are just reporting your failure to people. You are reporting your failure. What about your own growth? There's nothing wrong in people praying for you. But you also must be praying for yourself. You also must be praying. Even if you can do all you can do is mortar it in your, you know. The Bible says that woman had an issue of blood. She was weak. She was tired. But guess what? She came out. She said, if only I might touch him. She came out in the press. She pushed. And Jesus said, ah, daughter, that is good. Jesus commended her. So this woman said, I have nothing at all. So let me just tell you a couple of things about this. Then I'm going to challenge you. All right? I'm going to challenge you. The first thing you need to know about this is this. But I'm just going to say this. I will elaborate about it a lot more on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Write this down, please, if you're writing. There is no problem that has no solution. Write it down, please, if you're writing. Very important. Make sure you write it, you emphasize it, you know, in your writing material. There is no problem that has no solution. Every problem has a solution. That's another way of saying it. Every problem has a solution. Every problem has a solution. No matter how long-standing the problem is, it has a solution. Every problem has a solution. Every problem has a solution. No matter how long-standing the problem is, it has a solution. So write it down. Number two. Please write this down also. I will elaborate, like I said, in the next three days as we're praying and fasting. Once you come to a point in life where you don't want to 
cooperate with the process, you will never see the end product. If you don't cooperate with the process, you won't see the end product. If you don't cooperate with the process, you will not see the end product. The end product is that, you know, you want to, you want to get a miracle, you want to get this, but you must cooperate with the process. Look at the Bible, look at the people that got some powerful testimonies. Oh, the water is bitter, I cannot drink the water. Cut down the tree, throw it in the water. You must cooperate. Oh, we ran out of wine. Go and fill the water pot with, with water. You must cooperate. You must cooperate with the process. Oh, I need deliverance. It ta- the angel tapped Peter and said, put on your sandals. You have to cooperate with the process. So if you don't want to cooperate with the process, then forget the end product because you're not going to see the miracle. You, God will always have you cooperate with the process. Okay? So having said that, let me tell you then, okay, how to manifest this creativity. I believe I still have some time, okay, uh, today. Let me tell you, how do I manifest this creativity? What are the things I need to know and the things I need to do okay, to manifest the creativity? Remember, every problem has a solution. And there is something you must do. You must cooperate with the process if you will see the end product. So what are the things I need to do? Please pay attention. This is the real crux of the matter. Number one, you must understand, listen carefully, you must understand that the solutions come, came before the problem. I'm going to explain that a little bit. You must understand that solutions came before the problem. Please listen carefully. If you don't understand this statement I've made, your faith, you will struggle in your faith. You will have doubt. There will be some times when you will really, really be pumped up with faith. And just some hours later, a day later, you will be down again. Because you're thinking, how is it going to be solved? You need to firmly understand something about God. Listen carefully. In the natural, we see problems. And we start looking for solutions. That's how it happens in natural. So when we see a problem, we say to ourselves, ah, how will this one be solved? We're not looking for a problem, for, the solu- prob- for looking for a solution to the problem we have seen. That's not the way it works spiritually at all. In the, in the spiritual, particularly for New Testament Christians, okay, the solution exists, but it exists in God. Okay? The solution exists. Then, the problem manifests. Okay? Write it down, please. The solution exists. It exists. Then, the problem manifests. So then, when you want to solve the problem, from God's point of view, God is not looking for a solution. He's not looking for a solution. How is he? Ah, God is not saying, oh, how am I going to do this now? How, how do we solve this now? How did this girl got into this? Oh, what are we going to do now? God is not looking at that. God is saying to them, okay. And somebody said, well, Pastor, do you have scriptures for this? Of course I have scriptures for it. And I'm going to argue from the greatest, you know, from the greater to the lesser. 
which is the principle of Bible interpretation among Bible scholars, okay? Now, let's look at it. The question is this, which came first? Atonement or the sin of Adam? Which one came first? What happened first? Is it the fall of Adam or the atonement of the sin of humanity? Okay, so let's look at, let's, let's look at, you know, when you look at Genesis chapter 3, okay, when Adam and Eve were tempted, okay, and Adam ate the fruit, okay, Adam ate the fruit and he fell. You will say, oh my God, Adam fell. And what did Adam do? The Bible says Adam went and took, sold fig leaves, so himself and his wife, they sold fig leaves together and they were hiding, they were trying to solve the problem, all right? They sold fig leaves together, trying to cover their nakedness, trying to solve the problem, but they couldn't solve the problem. What they should have done, instead of hiding from God, is to understand that the solution, Satan has not had the last laugh. The solution to this problem of sin existed before now. Somebody said, well, pastor, I, I didn't understand that. I thought Jesus came thousands of years after Adam sinned. That's true. Jesus was incarnated. You know, he was, he came, he became flesh. He became man. Thousands of years after. But look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Who is him? Whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain this lamb, Jesus Christ, is the one that has been slain from the foundation of the world. You see that? Slain from the foundation of the world. Let's look at the New Living Translation, please. The New Living Translation, Revelation 13, verse 8. All of the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names have not, not been written in the book of life. Which belongs to the lamb? Slopped before the world was made. So you saw that. So Jesus Christ, in the mind of God, he found a solution to the sin of man. His omniscience made him know that man will sin and disobey and fall short of glory. And there will need to be a solution. So he created, he made sure the solution was available, put the solution in place, then now created man. Man now got into trouble. Okay? But the solution existed. So, so while, while Satan was saying, was rejoicing and saying, ha, there's no solution to this. You know, God was saying, look at you fool. You are a fool indeed, Satan, because the solution existed before the problem came. Never forget that. That always understand that. This woman had a jar of oil in her house before the creditors came to pick up her two sons. Never forget that. The, the lad with five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish brought it to the crusade ground before Jesus said to the disciples, we're going to need this. You know, let me say something to you. The best way to be healed, to be healed of any sickness, sickness, disease, and everything, the best way to be healed of it, listen to me carefully, is not to believe that the healing will come after you have been sick. Is to believe that the healing came before it now happened that you are sick. Okay? So the sickness did not come before the healing. The healing came before the sickness. 
Someone say, but pastor, how can you say that? I can say that because 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24 says, he himself bore our sins in his own body. By his stripes we were healed. By his stripes you were healed, past tense. When was I healed? When he bore my sins in his own body, in the atonement, in the vicarious death of Christ. That's when I was healed. So I, we were healed then because the day, same day he atoned for my sins is the same day he carried the penalty of my sickness. So healing was available to me 2,000 years ago. So now in 2021, you might not be sick. The sickness is 2,000 years late. The sickness is coming 2,000 years after I was healed. So I was healed before I was sick. That should be your mindset. I was healed before I was sick. So stop saying I'm sick, I'm looking for a solution. The doctor can't find a solution. The doctors can't find a solution because the natural man cannot receive the things of God. So I, but I was healed before I was sick. So all I need to do now is to let the sickness know that I was healed before you came. Okay? And by the law of precedence in the things of the spirit, the first must kick out the latter. Okay? So you have to move sickness because healing came before you came. You understand? So the difficulty is to know that solution came before it came. So you can't lock the door, say that you are a joker. You can't lock me out of this country. Do you understand? You can't lock me out because I got into this country, you understand, before you have any key at all to try and lock me out. You must be a joker. How do you lock out somebody that owns the land? The wall of Jericho was securely shut up. They built the wall. But you are building this wall to a land that God gave to Abraham 430 years ago. 430 years ago, the deed of the land was put in the hand of Abraham. You are not trying to lock me out of the land that I have the deed. You must be a joker. This is your, what was wrong with you? This is completely wrong. So God said to you, God said to Joshua, don't look at the lock that they put on the land. Don't look at the wall. God said to Joshua, he said, I've given it to you. It's your own already. It's, it, and God did not speak to him in the present tense. Uh, my English is not as um, good as yours, you understand? But I think it's called present tense. God did not speak to Joshua in present tense. God said in Joshua chapter 6 verse 2, he said, See, I have given. That's past tense now. I have given Jericho into your hand. Not I will give Jericho into your hand. God was telling Joshua, listen, the land is your own before it is your own. <laughs> the land is your own before it's your own. Some people are telling you that you will never have a child. Tell them you are a joker. I was fruitful before you came. I, I'm not telling you I will be fruitful. I was already fruitful. You understand? The Bible tells me that when he created me, he made me a fruitful vine. I was fruitful before I got married. I was fruitful already. So I'm not saying that I'm not looking for a child. I'm already fruitful because he is the true vine and every branch in him bears fruit. So I am in the, and when did the branch get into the vine? At salvation. So I don't come and be telling me joke about, about barrenness. Is that a joke? I don't know how to spell barrenness because I was fruitful, okay? This thing manifesting in my body right now is temporary. Okay, so the Bible says our light affliction is but for a moment. So whatever it is happening right now, you are for a moment, you will not stay. You will not stay. Yeah, for a moment. Well, I, I know this doesn't happen in this part of the world. And, and I'm sure, you know, things have also changed in the great country of Nigeria. But at the time I was in university in Nigeria, okay, during the holidays, you have to go into the universities, uh, into the school, 
to go and um, um, ascertain uh, and solidify the process for your accommodation, particularly if you want to live on campus. So during the holidays, you will go in there, you know, figure out a way because in my, during my days, only first-year students and final-year students were guaranteed uh, accommodation. All right? So you have to go in there and figure out other ways. And part of the other ways is that there are some first-year students and there's some final-year students that they are entitled to accommodation from the school. They get it, you know, at a particular cost. Just let's say, for example, they get it at, say, $500, okay, to pay for the year. But they want to live in the quarters. They want to live with their friends outside of the school and things like that. So they, they put it back on the market and sell it, you know. So they sell that right. Because they, they give you the key, they sell all of that. So, so instead of selling, for, of course, they got it for 500 they sell it at a premium, 750 800 and all of that. So that's what I mean by you go. So you go in there, and as a pharmacy student then, I, knew I had to get accommodation. So I go into the school during the holidays, you know, before we resume in September, maybe August. You go in there, you know, you get the accommodation. So I go in there, I get the accommodation, you get the accommodation, you do the transaction, you give the person the money, you know, they give you some, sign some documents, they give you the key, okay? They give you the key to the closet and all of that. You go inspect the room and everything is fine. Then you go back to your place before you resume school. It could be a month, it could be three weeks. Unfortunately, by the time you are resuming school, the first, this is always happens. The first day you get back to the room, you open the room, you find out the room is no longer empty. There are some people that have moved in. These people are called squatters. So there are people, some of them are people that have come in during the month to, to do an exam called the receipt. In other words, these are people that do not sit properly during the first exam. So they have to come and sit again. Another way of saying that is they repeated the exam, you know. So they, they came in to come and do a receipt. And some of them have also come in earlier and just break into the room and they start living there. And these people, when you get into the room, it's intimidating because... Some of them have really taken over the room. They've spread their stuff in the room. They're living in the room like it's normal. So, but you are the one that have, so you get in there, you tell them, uh, uh, this is my room, this is my bed. And they tell you, what do you mean this is your bed? Tell them, this is the receipt, this is everything, this is, my, this is the original key, this is everything, I don't know what I'm doing here. And some of them might want to intimidate you, but you have to intimidate, you have to tell them, no, listen, I'm gonna report it to the authorities, I'm not gonna take this, this is my room. I give you the next six hours to get yourself out of this room. And sometimes some of them will try and negotiate with you, you know. Sometimes some of them will try and buy it off you, you know. But you have to put your feet down and tell them you have to move. And when God brought that picture back to me, I said to myself, oh, so this is what Satan does. So I owned the place before Satan tried to move into the place. So I have to go there now and take a stand. That's why the Bible says, I've been done all. Stand therefore, stand therefore, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So you have to show Satan the title deed. The title deed is faith. You know, when the Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, the word substance there is the word title deed. You have to show Satan the title deed. In other words, you have to tell Satan, Satan, it is written. You can't know you are a squatter on this. Get out of this situation. Take your dating hands off. I don't care how long you have been here, how much you might think you have settled. You cannot settle in my life. Get out of my life. You have to push back on him, and he does not have an option. He will flee. The scripture says he will flee. 
He's not fleeing because of you or because of the decibel of your voice. He's fleeing because of the authority of the supreme ruler of the universe that is backing you up. He has no option. He has to flee. He has no option. He has to flee. Okay? So understand that the solution preceded the problem. Okay? Then what else should I do then after I understand that? Number two, express thanksgiving to God for the solution that exists but you are yet to see physically. Okay? Thank God. This is what begins to show that you really believe what I've just said. Oh, Father, I thank you for my gainful employment. Now, you have been applying for the last one month, two months, three months. You haven't gotten any traction. Nobody has even acknowledged your application. That's not the issue. We're not looking at the things that are saying. Oh, Father, I thank you because I had gainful employment before I started staying at home. I had gainful employment before that last corporation I worked for, ABC, told me to go back home. But Lord, I thank you for my gainful employment. Thank you for my gainful employment that engages my talent, engages my skill, and rewards me. Oh, Father, I want to just lift up my hands and say, thank you, Lord. I want to appreciate you. See, you're thanking God. John chapter 6, verse 11. Jesus was thanking God that the multitude were well fed before he even started feeding them. Oh, Father, I want to thank you. At the grave of Lazarus, Jesus was thanking God too. Father, I want to thank you for my children that are around about my house like olive plants. I want to thank you, Lord. Thank you for my children. Lord, I want to thank God-loving husband that is complete in Christ. To you be the glory forever and evermore. Thank you, Father, for my wife. Thank you, Lord. You begin to thank God. You begin to thank God. Thank God for the solution that exists before you see it physically. Number three, you boldly declare the conclusion of the matter and not, not the natural circumstance. You declare the conclusion of the matter, the scriptural conclusion of the matter. You boldly declare the scriptural conclusion of the matter, not the natural expectation. This is a challenge to many people. Some people think that when they begin to chant, when we say make a confession, like we make at the end of the service now, this is my year of the, you know, of the miraculous. I boldly declare my expectations. I expect my case to be different. This is not like chanting Quran. You understand? This one, the reason why we're saying that is not so that we can believe it. We're not saying it to believe it. We're saying it because we believe it. Okay? We're saying it because it's real to us. Okay? I'm speaking the conclusion. In the book of Luke chapter 12 verse 8, St. Luke chapter 12 and the 8th verse, Jesus Christ is speaking here. He said, I said to you, whosoever, so you can see the word whosoever, everybody and anybody, that's a Christian, of course, Whosoever confesses me before men, I, the Son of Man, will also confess him before the angels of God. Oh, my God. This scripture is very powerful but loaded. The word confess here is the word homologous in Greek. But don't worry about Greek. But I just want to tell you what it means. 
it means many things. It means saying the same thing, but the most important thing for me that it means is this. Write it down, please. The word confess, it means to voice the same conclusion. To voice the same conclusion. The word confess, it doesn't just mean saying the same thing. It means to voice the same conclusion. Write it down, please. So, when Jesus Christ said, whosoever voices the same conclusion as me, I will also in heaven voice that same conclusion to the angels. In other words, the conclusion you are saying here, I will also tell the angels, that's the conclusion. Go and see to it that the conclusion becomes material. Go and see to it. I will also voice that same conclusion. He didn't say speak the circumstance. He said speak the conclusion. So when you say to yourself, for example, uh, the Living Bible, or TPT, let's just do TPT. Okay, Psalm 37 verse 37. That tells you that you have a happy ending and that your case is different. Psalm 37 verse 37, TPT. Okay, when you see that, it says, but... You can tell who are the blameless and the spiritual mature. Somebody say, oh, but pastor, I, I know I look at my life. I know I'm not blameless. Stop that nonsense. Nobody is, nobody, you're not looking at your life. We're not looking at your life here. We're looking at Christ. God doesn't see you as you. He sees you in Christ Jesus. Do you understand? He sees you in Christ Jesus. You know, so you got to, you got to, so wake up, wake up, wake up to that. There is no condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus right now. Don't let Satan burden you with guilt. Okay. If there's anybody that is already eternally condemned, it's Satan. So don't let him add him to your, add he, you to your esteem. He's already eternally condemned. So when he wants to bring you to, just tell him, shut up there. Okay? As far as the east is from the west, so are my sins removed from me. They're under the blood. You can tell who are the blameless and spiritual before. Mature. He said, what a different story with them. So when they tell you this is how it ends for everybody, just tell them, stop that nonsense. There's a different story with me. God in Christ Jesus. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. He said the godly ones, they have a peaceful, look at it now, and a prosperous future with a happy ending. Listen, no devil in hell, all of them in hell, nobody can convince me against this scripture. I know I have a happy, I'm not guessing, I'm not saying it so that it will happen. I'm saying it because it has happened. My ending is a happy ending. I have a wonderful future with a happy ending. I'm telling you, I mean, I cannot lie. I'm telling you what I know. I'm a man. I'm a male. I was born a male, 3rd of November 1969. I was born a male. I'm still a male. You understand? That's my gender. I cannot lie. That's what I am. You know, I was, I was born, when I was born, I was born with this melanin, black pigmentation. And I cannot lie, it's still black pigmentation. That's who I am. Praise God. Praise God. That's who I am. Sakotama Loboreya. I cannot lie, you can put me under a lie detector. I'm still going to tell you what it is. That's who I am. That's what it is. I'm telling you the reality. I have a wonderful future with a happy ending. I'm not saying it so that it can change. I'm a pharmacist. I'm not saying it. I'm not confessing I'm a pharmacist. I'm a pharmacist. I'm a pharmacist. So that I can become a pharmacist. I'm telling you a reality. It's what has happened. It's what has happened. 
the same way get you into that, get into that level of assurance. You have a wonderful future with a happy ending. Voice the same conclusion. Voice the same conclusion. Satan, get out of here. Get out of here. Satan is painting pictures that you are going to spend your future in shape. He's painting pictures to you. Some of you even have dreams that you're going to be in shame, that you're going to be in shame, that bad things will happen to you. You know, you have a dream. You see yourself almost naked. You're wearing clothes. The clothes have holes, which indicates shame. You wake up. You're, you're, you're in a fit. You're panicking. You know, you, you call your, some people in, in, in Africa or Caribbean islands. Ah, they tell you, ah, that dream is bad, which it is. It is, no doubt. And they tell you, ah, that means shame. Ah, shame all over you. And you too, you feel, ah, hey, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Why is all this happening to me? Stop that. You have the authority. You wake up and you say to yourself, that, okay, 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 okay. So I see, I see. So Satan, this is what you're trying to plan for me. You should understand, Satan, that he frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plan. He brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. Satan, you don't have the right to implement your plan concerning the new creation. You understand? Because Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says, I have been delivered out of your jurisdiction. He has delivered me from the authority of darkness. Okay? That word translated power there is not actually power, it's a sozoa. It's authority, which also means jurisdiction. He has been delivered out of the jurisdiction of darkness. Okay? The police department in New York now, NYPD, as great as they are, they cannot give me a traffic ticket. Because I'm not in their jurisdiction, I did not drive in their jurisdiction. How are they going to give me a traffic ticket? If they sent one to my house, I'll send it back to them. Amen. I'm probably for good measure, you know, ask for damages because they give me emotional stress. Amen. You know, I'm not in your jurisdiction. What, what, what is wrong with you? I'm not in your jurisdiction. You know, I remember the story of one particular man. He traveled to Nigeria. He's an American citizen. So when he was in Nigeria, he went to speak to his boss about certain things. But in some of the boss, they had an argument, you know, and the boss was highly connected in the nation of Nigeria, you know. So, so he spoke to his boss and all of that. So they had a bit of an argument, but he was leaving the organization anyway. So he went, he was traveling, he got on the plane. British Airways flight. This true life story, British Airways flight, you know, sat on it. The plane was doing the normal, you know, you know pre-flight, you know, check. So they were doing the pre-flight check and all of that stuff. Seatbelt on and all of that. Suddenly, uh, the pilot you know, stopped and, and some people came into the plane. So what had happened was the boss had picked up the phone. He had made a phone call to somebody who made a phone call to your airport authorities. You know, because it was highly connected. And that they should get the guy off the plane and so on and so forth. He was going to just wanted to, you know. So as those people came into the plane, true life story, they told the guy, are you Mr. So-and-so? He said, you have to follow us. He said, why? He said, you have to follow us. We're telling you, we are from the so-and-so authority. The man put his hand in his pocket and brought out his pastor and I'm an American citizen. True life story. I know this man very well. He put his hand in his pocket and brought out his passport and said, I'm an American citizen. Please take your hands off me. If you touch me again, you have no, you have no right concerning me. I'm an American citizen. I'm going back to my country. Can you please get off my area? The people look at each other. They went back. They made a phone call. The authorities of the airport told them, get off that plane immediately. Leave the man alone. The man told them, I'm an American citizen. Don't say because of my accent or because of my color, you think I'm, I belong to this place. He brought out the citizenship of the place that would deliver him. 
The same thing you must do. Yes, you are human, but don't make the mistake. You are carrying a divine passport in you. Divinity is inside your humanity. You understand? So stop approaching issues as a human being. Look at it and bring out your divine passport and say to it, Satan, you have to be careful. You are looking for whom to devour, and you, you know yourself. You know better than this. I'm not one of those people you will devour. I'm not one of those people. You voice the same conclusion. If you have devoured anything, Satan, you know it is in your own interest to vomit it. You have to release it. You have to release my future. Come on, Satan, you know that. It's in your own interest. Because if the thief be caught, don't let me be the one to come and tell you. Because you will have to restore fourfold. So, so I command you now. So you know, you're taking authority, you're taking charge. This is Christianity in the New Testament. Satan consumed um, Dorcas. When Peter got there, Peter said, Satan, you're a dummy. You should know you should not. This is not the type of people you should be touching. I command you now, you release the woman quick. That's it. I hope somebody is being blessed from this today, or blessed and blessed by, by this today. You know, this is real Christianity. Number four or number five, whatever number is this now, is you command the solutions to manifest. Psalm 148, verse 5. We're talking on how do you manifest creativity from, from the, your spirit. Psalm 148, verse 5. Listen. Let's wrap this up now. It says, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. So he's talking about the creation of heaven and earth, right? Somebody might say, well, well, this is talking about God commanded. Yes, but you are created in the image of God. You also command. You also command and things will be created. You also command. You command for you to be created. You command. Oh, and this is why, listen at this point, for you that you have an advantage of speaking in tongues, this way is important. Instead of you crying and wailing or feeling so down, hiding your head under the pillow, taking, you know, all malas of, you know, in, and, you know it's a, in America it's amazing. If you watch American TV, just watch CNN. You, you know, this thing I'm saying, you can check it out. Watch CNN. Just try and watch it for one hour. Count how many adverts they will run on medications. You will be shocked. They have medication for everything. If your neighbor offends you, take three tablets a day. You know, <laughs> you know, take three tablets a day. If you wake up in the morning, your wife did not greet you, use this tablet. It's very good for everybody. I mean, they have, I'm a pharmacist, so, you know, I, 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 I understand that, but they have medication for everything, everything, everything. People don't even learn how to, America is supposed to be the richest country in the world, but they are the ones that are hooked, hooked up to antidepressants the most. You know, you have to command the solutions to manifest. So you know you can speak in tongues, you wake up in the morning, you don't need to get into a formal session of prayer in this regard now. You can you do that, you know, your devotion, but you face a situation, Lord, what am I going to do? You speak in tongues, then you command. You know, our fallen Lord, the presiding bishop of the Redeemed Christian Church of God, Pastor Deboe, shared a story with us many years ago. But that was very instructive. It was at the airport in Ghana. 
in Accra, Ghana. I was taking the connecting flight, you know, coming from one of the African countries, I believe, at that time, to back to Nigeria. And, you know, he had, he had been hungry. He wasn't fasting. And for some reason, he got there. The flight was delayed. You know, an hour, two hours is manageable. But when it started to hours, and it was delayed, and they just told them to sit down somewhere. They didn't give them food. There were a lot of people at the airport. They didn't, couldn't find a place to buy food. So he was very hungry. So he said he was hungry, he was managing it, but he got to the point where the hunger was so much. So while he sat down, so he said to God, you know, Daddy, you didn't tell me that I should fast today. If I had known, I, would, I, I didn't know you wanted me to fast today. I'm hungry. And he said, God told him, and that's very instructive. He said, God said to him that, you're the one that wants to be hungry. Ah, me? I don't want to be hungry. That's what I'm telling you. He said, God said, you can do something about it. So, okay. So what should I do about it? God reminded him of the things he has been teaching him. So he said, once he had that, where he sat, he just left a claimed the bush car. I decree. Okay? I take authority. I decree. So he decreed that food will come to him. He said, you know, it was only a matter of time. All of a sudden, the authorities of the airline walk up to the, where the crowd was that they are packed in some way, you know, leaving them there hungry. And it happens that it was in front of him that the man came. And the man said, please, we apologize and all of that, you know, uh, for, we're going to make an arrangement now. And when they made an arrangement, when they were going to serve, it was the first person they gave food to. So <laughs> they gave him food. He felt that, ah, this thing is not, uh, you know, it didn't go the whole distance. Because he wasn't ready for a sprint, he was ready for a marathon. They came back again, they brought for him again. You know, somebody might say, ah, of course that will happen because it's the general overseer. That is the biggest mistake you have allowed Satan to tell you a big lie. And if you continue with that kind of an attitude, Satan is going to continue to dominate your life. If you keep allowing Satan to tell you that this only happens for some special people, you know, that is completely wrong. It doesn't happen. He says, these signs shall follow them that believe. When Jesus was teaching about commanding, in Mark 11, 24, 23 rather, he said, you speak to this mountain. Speak to this mountain. He's not talking of some, oh, thank God for apostles and bishops and all of that. We thank God for them and the great anointing of God upon their life. But this is not what we're talking about now. We're talking about you as a New Testament Christian taking authority in Christ. You have the authority. You have the power of God on the inside of you. Exercise it. Praise God. Praise God. So, command the solution to manifest. I've done this several times in ministry. When I don't know what to do, I take a walk. You know, I take a walk. I pray in tongues. Father, I want to honor you and thank you because the solution existed before this problem. Father, pray in tongues like that, then I begin to speak. I speak for the solution. I speak for the solution. I speak for the solution, which now leads to the final thing. You listen to the impression, the thoughts, and the ideas that come to your mind. Then you write it down. Okay? Impressions you have, Thoughts that come into your mind, ideas that flow into your heart, write them down. You're praying, Lord, what should I do? You know, here and there, 
you know, what do I do, Lord? I know that the landlord said, like, the landlord has brought a letter that I should leave, and I don't have damn payment to buy my house. My credit is bad. But Lord, I know that the next place they're moving me to is re was ready before this came about. When you do that, then after you pray, I don't know how long, maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you listen. What ideas, what thoughts come to your mind? Because that is how God is going to pass it to you. Don't wait to hear an audible voice. Okay? Don't wait to hear an audible voice or anything like that. Just what are the thoughts that come to your mind? What are the ideas? What are the impressions? Write them down. Why is it necessary to write them down? So you can judge them by scripture. You write them down. Write them down. And when you write them down, you judge them by scripture or by wise counsel, when the motives of counsel is their safety. Okay, particularly, you're just starting out with this thing. Write them down. When you write them down, you know, and you judge them, you know, somebody that you can trust, you know, and say, this is what's come to me, and all that. Then you act on that. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. That's how you manifest this creativity. Understand, number one, that the solution came before the problem. Express thanksgiving for the solution that exists before you see it physically. Boldly declare the conclusion, the scriptural conclusion, not the natural circumstance. Command the solution to manifest as you pray in tongues. Then listen to the impression, the thoughts, and the ideas in your mind. As you do this, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I believe that this week, where they said there is no way, you will have many options in Jesus' name. This is the end of the message. We are sure that you have been blessed. For more information, please visit our website at www.houseofpraise.ca. God bless you.